to San Francisco Ballet's Points of View podcast. In this episode, recorded on May 2nd, 2018, dance educator Mary Wood talks with principal dancer Teet Helmet about the differences between classical, neoclassical, and contemporary ballet. Hope you enjoy. Well, thank you, Jenny. It's my pleasure to be with you all this evening and to add my welcome to this evening's Points of View program. I'm delighted to be joined by principal artist, principal dancer, Teet Helmets. Hello. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome. I'm going to let Teet introduce himself in greater detail in a moment. But uh, first I want to say we're in the final week of this remarkable festival of new works. And I would be interested in a show of hands. How many of you have seen at least one, maybe more, of the programs? Great. So we have a very educated audience. Um, The festival is called Unbound because its very premise has been to display creative material not bound by tradition. Rather, looking ahead to the dance world of the future. Um, In addition to the 12 new works that have been performed, you've also had the opportunity to take part in a symposium, and it was titled Boundless, a series of panel discussions in which the participants were asked to muse about the intersection of ballet and technology, uh, about the inclusion of new voices in our art form, The relevance of ballet today, no small subject, and what is the future of the art form? And there is no small subject either. Another show of hands. How many of you were able to partake in any of the panels of the the Boundless Symposium? So a few folks. Okay. Well, a couple of concepts, uh, well, vocabulary words really, actually kept coming up, and I thought it would be useful, um, even critical, for my conversation with T to make a stab at a couple of definitions. Contemporary ballet. Contemporary is easy. It means now, means present. This week we seem to be using the phrase to mean opposite or different from classical ballet. And someone actually asked the question, what is ballet? So here's my simple response to what is ballet. It's a kind of dance. It uses a particular technique. Students spend six to eight years rigorously training their bodies to assume those five positions of the legs and the arms, to train the turnout of their legs in their hip sockets, to um, assume the flexibility and the stretch that's necessary for the work. Whether or not the student's training is augmented by instruction in in other dance forms, it all starts with training in classical technique. And there's that word. So how should we define classical? And basically, and I'm winnowing out pages of nuanced shades of meaning here, it means judged over a period of time to be of the highest quality and outstanding of its kind, or something that is traditional in form, style, or content, or serving as a standard of excellence. 
So thinking about ballet as a kind of dance and classical as a traditional form, our hope today is to provide a sort of compare and contrast illustration of ballet movement, past, present, and maybe future. So now I'm going to invite T to, um, you know, formally introduce yourself. And my um, ulterior motive here is to get you to talk about your training and then about um, beginning your career and the repertoire that you have performed. And then we'll have a wonderfully rich conversation about all that. So beginning at the beginning. <laughs> um, I'm going to try to keep this brief. Sure. Or, okay, good. Um, my name is Tiet Helimetz. I, I'm, uh, I was born in Estonia and trained in Estonia. And um, I was trained in the Vaganova ballet technique. And I, I had eight years of schooling, entered the company. And the company back then in Estonia was very classical. There were few modern works, but really, um, really not too much. I, 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 when I think of modern, I, I, I was like thinking of like Balanchine. It was like the, the modern work <laughs> in Estonia. Modern like 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I had, uh, I had a great opportunities in the company. I uh, got to dance uh, many, many classics, then um, left Estonia with my wife and went to Birmingham Royal Ballet and got to learn the whole new range of British classical ballet. And um, eventually um, just kind of had enough of it and uh, decided to move to America. And, and I've been here almost 13 years now. You came in, I believe it was 2005. Yes as a principal dancer. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> We've seen you do um, basically leading roles in all forms of our repertoire. Yeah, pretty much, yes. The, yeah. Yeah. Um, back up a couple of paragraphs. You mentioned the Vaganova training. Mm -hmm. um, elaborate on that by just a couple more sentences that really describe mm -hmm. What was the result of having what we call the Vaganova training? Mm -hmm. For anyone who really doesn't know what that means. So the best way I can under, uh, explain it is, so there is um, a couple different schools. There is the Italian school, there is the French school, there is the English school, and um, there's the Russian school. And, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm really just I'm excluding sure. the America right now, but... But um, what um, really in the, uh, in the beginning of the 19th century, or I would say, um, uh, when, when uh, Petipa was choreographing, he um, choreographed all of these beautiful classics. And um, Vaganova, who was one of his dancers, um, she had this incredible ability to jump, to... Um, do all of these really difficult technical defeats, and and Petipa was uh, really liked her, but it, it, she wasn't like the star. So she um, 
he liked her technique very much and so encouraged her to uh, become a teacher of the ballet school. And she really um, took away this um, unnecessary posing and this mannerisms of uh, what uh, had kind of become what classical ballet was back then and really uh, modernized it and made it very dynamic, um, especially talking about jumps. If you, um, I'm just singling out the, the Russian training, but uh, if you watch a lot of the Russian dancers, women and men alike, uh, they're very good jumpers. They, they have this incredible speed and energy on a stage. And so uh, she was a, a big reason why um, why that Russian technique is what it is today because she took away kind of that mm -hmm. superficial mm -hmm. yeah. stuff. And I would also add that she, um, she created a very ordered syllabus. Yes. So that it was very logical, just brilliantly logical, to train a dancer from the very, very beginning into the magnificent technicians Oh, yes. Yeah. So when you say you were trained in the Vaganova method, you were trained under this amazingly logical progression. Oh, of, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And um, it, it's a little bit different in, uh, in Europe, the way ballet school works. You have to graduate from each class mm -hmm. to be able to mm -hmm. move on to the next level. Mm -hmm. You might be held back sometimes. You might be accelerated forward uh, if you are really very good and talented. But there are certain steps that you must meet before you can move on. Mm -hmm. So in order to graduate as a Vaganova student, you must go through this curriculum and then uh, after you get to ballet school, uh, ballet company, you can do whatever you want. But. So this is all by way of not to belabor this, but this is the, the preparation that you had, mm -hmm. which was this very traditional, very, we keep using that word, classical. Oh, very classical, so, um, yes. Then you, you had your early career in a very classical company, mm -hmm. but then you moved on. So speaking about the, um, as you began to discover um, different, like you say, modern, <laughs> um, more of the Balanchine and the neoclassical works, um, did you find that that training prepared you for what you were going to face as um, the years were peeled away, let's say? <clears throat> yes and no. Um, I really loved uh, my first real experiences with balancing choreography was, uh, unfortunately, not in America, but it was in England. And it was a little bit more refined, even in England. Uh -huh. It's a little different. It's not exactly yeah. like it is in America. And, and I loved how it made your center shift and you didn't have to be mm -hmm. so upright all the time. And there was this freedom in the arms. It didn't matter the shape of your arms. You could flex them. You could mm -hmm. extend them. You could hyperextend them. Mm -hmm. And it was a great sense of freedom um, in movement. And um, at the same time, I... In England, I was doing the English classics, which were like almost a step backwards into this like super rigid arms and the small little port de bras and low arms. And so it was like a, mm -hmm. it was a lot of contrast. But um, in some ways, it prepared me for it. 
but in, in ways of um, um, moving bigger, it did not, unfortunately. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Well, we have some illustrations that I think this is going to be a little trip through ballet history in a way, but um, which will end up, I hope, talking about um, the actual, just now in the moment, things that we have seen this last couple weeks. Um, so here we are. <laughs> what are we looking at? So this is Sleeping Beauty, I think 2007, with Yuan Yantan. Give or take. Give or take. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so this is a ballet that was created. The choreographer is... Petit Pas. Petit Pas. And um, it's, it's also one of those ballets that um, the, when you dance it in different companies, it has a, a little minor adjustments, but the storyline really stays the same. Mm -hmm. um, some people prefer to mu use different musics from Tchaikovsky that was also created for Sleeping Beauty. Mm -hmm. And some prefer to cut it, but um, the the grand part of the, like the picture of what we see here is um, it's very similar. It's almost always the same in all the productions. So it's when you watch it, you watch pretty similar to what was created in 1890. I, yes. I, I hope so. Yes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have a couple of other images. Um, so just, what are the dancers wearing? Um, uh, as you can see, they wear tutus. Uh, this is, um, tutus have gotten a little bit shorter. Um, from what I understood, they used mm -hmm. to just go slightly mm -hmm. below in the knee. Mm -hmm. So it was good to have very thin calves, I guess. And the thighs didn't matter so mm -hmm. much because you never saw them. Um, uh, small ankles, small feet. Um, I think we have one more. Oh, yeah. Um, what are the, what are the dancers wearing on their heads? Oh yes, these are wigs, and <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's uh, 18th century, I believe. Eight, eight, I think the eight, the idea is that our production, anyway, and of course this is a fairly individual thing from mm -hmm. company to company. But um, the second act, or the the, well, everybody knows this story. Um, she goes to sleep for a hundred years. Oh, that's right. Yeah. When she yeah. falls asleep in our production, it is seventeenth um, century Russia, and mm -hmm. when she wakes up, it's eighteenth century. Mm -hmm. Which that's what that looks like. Um, just a couple of other like questions that I can you describe the line that Yuan Yuan is making? Oh. So Yuan Yuan has the most beautiful arabesque line. And as you can see, it's just, she's just floating. It's called the first arabesque. And this is one of the steps that's very purely classical. And um, anybody who is trained uh, classically understands the purity of this first arabesque. And so if this were, you know, this could be in a textbook. Oh, yes, for sure, yeah. Yes. Illustrate that incredibly clean Perfect, and there's that word again, classical technique. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to actually look at a video clip of the pas de deux from the um, third act, which is the, the wedding pas de deux. So are there any things that you, rather than trying to talk over the music, which is a little challenging, um, what should we ask the audience to look for while they're watching the clip that we have? Well, 
something that um, is very noticeable, and it really is. I think it's it's required of pretty much all the dancers to do is go epoemon, so which means that there's always a twist in the body. Mm-hmm. So the hips are facing this way, the upper body faces this way. There's a lot of this lean forward where your cheek is slightly forward. The arms are very low, very allongé. That means that they create like a, this long infinity line. Um, it's very stylized, and it goes back to uh, uh, Rococo, Baroque, where women used to have this really challenging dresses that they could not lift their arms really high. So this is all reminiscent of that era. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Petit Bar has uh, cleverly crafted this beautiful pas de danse. Mm-hmm. So. so we're going to see very traditional steps, um, very clean, uh, classical technique. Um, okay, let's just watch it and enjoy That's as far as we could go. Um, I was going to mention those three um, maneuvers that you do right toward the end of this particular clip. Fish dives? The fish dives. Yeah. That's what they're called. Um, The French would be pas de poisson. And it's really the, um, the most exciting, challenging trick that they could have come up with in 1890. Yeah, um, okay, so here's the thing, a a little bit of Mm -hmm. history. So in Vaganova version, we don't do these. In Vaganova, we do multiple, multiple, multiple underdown turns. So -hmm. there's going to be lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of spin into a Mm -hmm. uh, lean-out. And this was the version that we did in England, which is the fish Mm -hmm. dives. And I just, I don't know who came first or who did, who was it that created this? But um, I associated it more with English version mm-hmm. of Sleeping Beauty. Which is the one that I know the best. Um, well, so bearing all of that in mind and how lovely and clean and pure all of this was, we're going to jump forward about um, 57, 67 years. And um, there we are. And this is now, um, maybe you want to describe for us what we're looking at now. So this is Balanchine um, Agon. Mm-hmm. And the way we were described this ballet, it was about competition. Um, oh, right, right. Yes. <laughs> games, Agon. Yes. Games, mm-hmm. yeah. So... It's um, the first thing that you notice is uh, there is no elaborate costume. You can see a beautiful, uh, who are these, uh, Doris and Sasha in the beautiful arabesque line. Also kind of first arabesque, but not really, because you can see their arms are kind of intertwined. Mm -hmm. Um, No longer this obvious classical. Mm -hmm. um, Let's look at one more. uh, Somebody's, uh, I'm on the floor, and Sofiane is upside down in a panche. Um, the danger elements, mm-hmm. push-pull. Um. So they are doing the steps that were... We've, we, already, we looked at the beautiful arabesque mm-hmm. in Sleeping Beauty. That's an arabesque. But what did Balanchine do to it? Well, she's completely upside down. It's still in arabesque, and it could 
be a first i mean it's it's a panche mm -hmm. but um in a kind of a a very odd <laughs> upside down well it evokes a, a whole different feeling from oh yes yeah. and and she's uh, i mean it's a real challenge in that moment the hand is shaking like yeah. this <laughs> And um, and I am I am not looking at my partner, which makes it very challenging to partner uh, her. And I have to lay down on the floor. So I think we were seeing this scene too. Right. Yeah. We'll have a, a video also from this. I wanted to back up to um, here. The dancers are in a pose, and one of the things we mentioned about traditional classical ballet is how the dancers are trained to turn their legs out. Mm -hmm. But what has he done here? Um, turned in. Um, and the arms are and not the arms in one are, of those very, five positions. Exactly. Uh, they're in an allonger position, but it's very high, mm -hmm. um, which is usually not uh, what classical ballet is more like here. And the arm is just uh, free, mm -hmm. freely mm -hmm. floating above the head. Um, uh, there is a poemon, but it isn't so stylized. It's more of a twist on the body. Um, so basically, so we've given this 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 type of ballet, this genre, a name, and we call it neoclassicism. Yes, and that just simply means new <laughs> classicism. Um, Balanchine was pretty well known for taking for taking the classics and then just pushing and twisting and reaching and. As we'll see when we look at the video clip, um, you go off balance. Mm -hmm. um, think back. Well, when, when we watch the video, and then we can try to compare it to the Sleeping Beauty video and just mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. watching for things like verticality or not, um, balance or not. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, let's see what happens when we watch this. So, first of all, there was a moment when you tossed her up in the air. And um, as I recall, Petipa would never put a, a ballerina over a man's head. Oh. Shoulder sit, maybe. Yes. That was yeah. the trickiest yes. thing he would do. <clears throat> um, Tossing, pulling, there's a lot of push and yeah. pull. She... Um, it's a it's a vile, uh, almost a violent partnering, very mm -hmm. kind of angsty, mm -hmm. speedy, um, something that you wouldn't uh, necessarily see in classical ballet. Mm -hmm. In the classical ballet, you were um, definitely the prince, presenting <laughs> the princess. Yeah. And my observation is that here you're very much equals, dancing together. Oh yes, yes. Um, we should mention the music is Stravinsky. Mm -hmm. uh, this was done in 1957. It looks amazingly modern to me for 1957. Yeah. Um, in this, and just say one more word about what, how the dancers are dressed. Well, actually, the way they are dressed, uh, this is the outfit that any schoolboy or schoolgirl will be wearing in a ballet school. Mm -hmm. So this is our standard ballet school outfit. Um, you might not necessarily start out with this outfit, but I, uh, I recall when I must have been um, 
15, I got my first pair of black tights and, yeah. and white, white socks. You always wear white socks. And then you had this T-shirt. And the girls, um, girls went from white uh, uh, leotard to a black mm. one. Yeah. And so there's no tutu. No. There's nothing that disguises nothing. the line of the body. Everything reveals. And, of course, they're you know, wearing very... Um, She's wearing her hair very pulled back so that it doesn't, it, it does not obscure the line of mm-hmm. her head and neck. Um, there is a couple of reasons why Balanchine um, did a whole series of his works that look very similar. Um, one, I learned in ballet history, was surely expense. They just had no budget. They couldn't afford costumes and costume designs. And the other was... Fortunately, Balanchine loved to display the shape of the body, and he was just playing with technique and the look of movement. And he said, well, why don't we just show it off? And uh, hence, we did. And it works, and it looks mm-hmm. beautiful. I'm, I'm so glad <clears throat> that it became a thing. <laughs> what, uh, when you were learning your first Balanchine, you said in, in England it was actually a little more restrained. Mm-hmm. But when you came here and you were coached in your first works, for instance, this one. Um, what did the stager say to you to, um, to get you to perform it the way it was supposed to be performed? How did they coach you into uh, leaving the classical look? It's, it's always different. Um, some Balanchine dancers really love to tell you the backstory. And, and as an artist, it helps you so much. Mm-hmm. It's, it's great to know where the inspiration came from. Uh, for instance, working with Pat, uh, Pat Neary, and when she would come in England to set ballets like uh, Western Symphony mm. or Prodigal Son, or <laughs> yes, I danced all of those. <laughs> and she was great. She had stories and what happened in that rehearsal and... And um, Sandra Jennings over here, she would just uh, she was great for Apollo. Uh, the the gestures that Apollo, when the muses hold their hands down and you you have your head down, and then you hear this music, and it's it's your father calling you up to the um, mm. <laughs> calling you home, and then you're like listening and following his voice. And uh, these images are so powerful, and they help you so much as a dancer. And uh, there are other times when somebody just comes in and um, it's, not, it's not like that. It's different, but it's very accurately counted. And uh, you know exactly in the musicality what you have to do. It's a different method and it has its positives and negatives, mm-hmm. but uh, um, it's just a different way of working, yeah. And getting your... Um your mind and your body wrapped around this this neoclassical technique. Um, was that a stretch for you? It was fun. It was so, especially talking about Apollo, it was just amazing to just, first of all, this stage is huge. So, and to be able to dance here and like feel like, okay, I fit onto this stage. <laughs> In Estonia was a very small stage. Uh-huh. In England was uh, fairly small stages, not as big. Mm-hmm. And then over here I felt, okay, this fits. Uh-huh. Well, I want to make sure that we get um, plenty of time to talk about our last work, 
And so let's jump forward. Um, this is different. So tell us what we're looking at here. So this was a really uh, wonderful experience. Um, actually, we rehearsed this side by side with Sleeping Beauty. So that, <laughs> so the Sleeping Beauty you saw with me dancing uh, with Yonyan, we at the same time rehearsed this ballet. And this ballet is called Eden Eden, and it's by Wayne McGregor. And um, it was a great challenge. I don't think I've ever hurt as much. <laughs> it was everywhere, like my neck, my parts of me that I didn't even know I was using. Um, everything hurt. But it was a, a wonderful reward because uh, Wayne is... Um, a, a, He's just an illusionist. He can create this fluid movement in a body, and it's just mesmerizing to watch. It just kind of gets you wiggling when you're watching it. I think we have one more still picture. I don't know if that's the still picture or if that's going to lead us into the video. I don't know. Um, so it's pretty obvious now, but what are we looking at? Talk about costuming and so the image that the audience is getting? Um, I wouldn't even know what position that is in ballet. Um, looks like a, a fourth, maybe. Um, the arms are twisted backwards. Uh, costume is non-existent. And uh, uh, she's bold. Yeah. <laughs> so we've, taken, we've gone from wig to hair, hair to bold. nothing. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to be too obvious here, but we've kind of seen when we talk about what is contemporary ballet. Now, this was created in 2005, so it's, gosh, old. It's 13 years old. But um, you say that just the, the ballet position is, not, is almost not even identifiable. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to watch a clip from it, and uh, the movement will be fascinating. And then um, I think we'll have a few minutes to just say what has happened to Vaganova <laughs> when we see this next. And let's see, is this the. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and incidentally, the music is Steve Reich, but it's a. Um, there's a technical term for it, but there's voice over mm -hmm. the actual composed music. Mm -hmm. And that that provides your accompaniment. How did you count it? Or did you? <laughs> uh, it was um, the recording of the voice recording was always the same. So we mm -hmm. had some markers. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about this piece was um, it was about uh, cloning. So human clones were just clones of... Adam and Eve just mm -hmm. popping up from underground. Mm -hmm. And um, it was interesting. There were a lot of uh, interesting solos. And, um, but even watching this, you could see that there is, uh, there is some classical ballet in there. You can see there is like a finger turn. Lots of it, supported pirouettes. Yes, supported yeah. pirouettes. Um, I mean, I think that was the only thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just, but lots of um, very innovative partnered movement. Just winding around and up and down and inside out and um, 
that that's one of the things that I see as being the, one of the more striking things about contemporary mm-hmm. dance is that partnering has just become no limits. It's, it's beautiful because it resolves itself in a way that's kind of pleasing for the eye. Even though it's not what you expect it to be, it goes to places and keeps moving and it's just like watching this wonderful snake wind around the tree. or um, It's just mesmerizing, at least for me. In the three minutes we have left, I wonder if you would comment about um, how is a dancer trained to do that? I think... uh, And and going forward into the future. Yeah, I think to dance this ballet, you really have have got to have a couple of ballets under your belt. You had to have had experience. Mm -hmm. And it's all about just letting go, not to um, be in that ballet box or just... um, You just got to explore your extremes and um, often Wayne would give us images okay uh, now be really get really fat in your moment or, or get sticky and and mm-hmm. so he would use these visuals that uh, we can all relate to we understand what what if something becoming fat means if something skinny like all these images mm-hmm. and we would create it in our own way and that was the right way for us and th- that's what he wanted. He wanted it to be in a space where you can let go and also um, uh, exp- um, share a little bit of yourself with him. Mm-hmm. So he layered that on top of this room full of ballet dancers. And mm-hmm. we defined ballet and we defined classical. <clears throat> did, you, did you need your ballet training in order to get to this? I think so, yes. Yes, I did. Um, uh, first of all, the confidence to be on a stage and partnering like this, but um, everything that I've learned in a way allowed me mm-hmm. to be able to do mm-hmm. this. Okay. So when we look at the dancers rising in the school today, they start in first position, second position, um, and then they graduate and they get into a company and next season they're going to have to do the Sleeping Beauty. But there will also be ballets not unlike this. Do you think that they need to, that students need to have classes that train them to do this or do you think they're going to learn it as they go, so to speak, when they get into the choreography? I think to be able to learn about this, it cannot hurt. I think it will be amazing to be able to have that vocabulary in the in uh, in a, a part of your education. But regardless, um, if you just went the traditional route and did the classical ballet route, you will learn. And if you can let go, you will learn, and you'll get the same results. But I feel like modern uh, being able to explore this kind of technique is it's wonderful. Well, I wish we had uh, more time to just keep going on about the evolution and where we think we might be going from this, but we literally are going to have a gong go off. So I want to thank you so much for all of your comments. Thank you for...
what we got to see of you on the screen. I want to say to all of you, thank you so much for all of your participation this season. And as Jenny mentioned, this is our last Points of View program, but we'll be back. And next year will be an exciting one. And um, we look forward to seeing you then. Enjoy this evening's performance. If you've got tickets, and if you don't, remember you have to go back out that way. <laughs> Thank you and good night. Thanks Thank again, T. Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Points of View podcast. Please remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.